Hello, I'm Grant Bartley. You're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show on Resonance. And, and today, the title of the show is Global Capitalism, Good or Bad? I have with me Neil Kellard, who is the Chair of Finance at the University of Essex, Richard Barron, who teaches philosophy at the Mary Ward Centre and is also a tax consultant, and Tom Rubins, who teaches philosophy in English and is the author of seven books of philosophy and is a member of the World Development Movement. You'll find out what their particular positions on capitalism uh, are as we go along. Um, so first of all, I'm going to do the standard philosophical thing and ask for some definitions. Uh, what is capitalism? What is global capitalism? What is globalisation? Do you want to start us off, Neil? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you, Grace. Nice to nice to be here. Um, if we can start as perhaps as wide as possible, at least in my opinion, with globalisation. So I would describe that as the tendency to the increasing. Um, homogeneity, and what I mean by that is sameness, as you look at me, Grant, the sameness of human behaviour. And I I think you can break this down. Often it's sort of assumed to be an economic phenomenon, but you can break it down into various different spheres, cultural, social, and economic and financial spheres. And, of course, they they all link. So I think I'd start with that broad definition. Okay, and how does that link with capitalism? Tom, what do you think about uh, globalisation and capitalism? Well, echoing what has just been said about the idea of sameness and homogeneity, it seems to me that unfortunately this sameness and homogeneity is coming about economically on a global scale, scale, chiefly through the influence of multinational corporations. Uh, This sameness and homogeneity uh, is not to the benefit of all the people who are caught up in that sameness. Right, and I think we're going to find out that they're the, the, the villains of the piece, aren't they? OK, Richard, have you got anything to add to this sort of under, basic understanding? Yeah, I don't think it's all about sameness by any means. This is um, globalisation. Yeah. Globalisation, yes. I mean, to me, on the economic side, it's particularly about opening up trade, allowing increasing specialisation. I mean, one of the basic things you learn when you start to study economics is that even if one country is better than another country at making all the different things that need to be made, Uh it can still pay them to specialise and you can have one country making one thing and another country making another. So you can still get that kind of diversity. Where you obviously do see a lot of sameness developing is this sort of cultural homogeneity. You know, everywhere's got a McDonald's, that kind of thing. So it seems to be intrinsically linked with capitalism, I mean, Neil, what would... Well, I, I'd just like to come back on that, the fact that it's not sameness. I, I think there is a, a great tendency towards sameness. So, for example, in products, which is the kind of thing that you're talking about now, um, if, you, if you look at the things that people eat around the world, uh, particularly in the basic kind of crops that they eat, it's become very similar. You know, the world depends for sort of 70% of its calories for three grains, you know, rice, rice, maize and wheat. And it didn't used to be that way. People used to eat a lot of different types of grains, but now that's not. And I think that's a real problem. Of course, it's a, it's a problem because for sustainability, if you get crop damage, you get some kind of disease, you've only got those three particular strains. That's become a real issue, which didn't used to be an issue. And again, it's that sameness which is coming through now, which again, is a, I think, is a real problem. OK, um, I still haven't sort of answered the question of what... Um, what globalisation has to do with capitalism. Um, presumably they're sort of both linked. Does anybody want to say what the link is? Well, if, you, if, well, if you'd like me to. I mean, if, if we take capitalism as the, as, the, as the sort of flow of capital right. um, to drive particularly economic expansion, other people would describe it differently, but, but, but I would say economic expansion, I think that's probably the main driver between all these other forms, cultural, social, type, right. if, if that helps. So, it's, so. A, it's the pursuit of profit has led to uh, everywhere sort of starting to become the same, in your opinion. Um, OK, but I, I, I want to... 
concent- sort of concentrate on what different forms of capitalism there are, because um, uh, I don't think you'd all say that they're all as good or bad as each other. So, um, for instance, there's neoliberal, liberal, laissez-faire, social democratic uh, kinds of capitalism. Does anybody want to own up to any sort of label on capitalism and, and, and say why they prefer that sort of capitalism? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, uh, my preference is the, for the social democratic kind. Which means what? Could well, you explain that? The kind that's emerged, I suppose, in Western Europe since World War II. Uh-huh. That's, the best, that's, that's the best example of it anywhere in the world. We can't speak of the US as social democratic But what capitalism. is it, Tom? It's a system in which capitalism operates, of course, but right. in which government uh, also has a, a, a say in, uh, in how the economic system uh, is run. It has some say in it. And uh, uh, is concerned to relate wealth produced by the system mm-hmm. to uh, improving the general living standards of the majority of the population right. in the country concerned with providing uh, social services, health services, adequate education services, etc. has a very conscious and deliberate policy along those lines in relation to what's happening economically. Okay, um, why is that different from like f- total free market capitalism? Well, um, um, Richard? Uh, Okay, Uh, it depends on how you do it, how you give the state this role. And the one thing that I'm dead against is letting the state run businesses because basically they're rubbish at it. Yeah, All the evidence is they're useless at it. What I think Tom was talking about, and what I would agree with, is that you have a certain level of taxation on these profits that are being made, Yeah, which you then use to provide things like uh, health care, education, that sort of thing. And that's important. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that if you take something like 30% of GDP, a gross domestic product in taxation, that sort of tends to maximise overall welfare. Once you get beyond that... Right, so there is an optimum amount yeah, of taxation. Yeah. Once you get beyond that, you tend to get a predatory state which just sort of feeds itself yeah. and keeps the civil servants in, uh, in clover. OK, how would you respond to that, Neil, what's been said? Well, uh, I think, first of all, I mean, I think the point that's been made about uh, social democracy is an interesting one. And certainly sort of the post-World War consensus up until about 1970 was this kind of social democratic model. The eventual sort of philosophical root of it was going to be socialism. That was what it was meant to turn into. Uh, Uh, Of course, what happened in the late 1960s and early 1970s was this sort of terrible thing called stagflation, which caught all the Keynesian economists by surprise. What's that, that, stagflation? The fact that inflation and unemployment went up at the same time. Right. Which the, which the theory at the time, Keynesian economics, didn't know really what to do with. So Keynesian economics is the theory that you, you input, the government imp, uh, takes up projects to stimulate economic growth. But not just projects, but also monetary expansion as well. Oh, well, you're getting too technical the, the, now. No, well, it, I think it's an important sort of distinction, right. because when we're talking about the, the free market type of economics, which comes out of neoclassical economics, they do not believe that monetary expansion or contraction has any effect on the real economy. So how much like money just effect, is in the economy? Think, things like unemployment, exactly. Yeah. Things like unemployment and, and, and output, that type of thing. What they believe is that um, monetary expansion feeds through into inflation. Is that what you believe? Uh, no, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not what, what I believe. that's what people are talking about doing, isn't it, these days? Yeah, uh, okay. No, I mean, I, I don't have expertise in this particular area, so I'm quite willing for uh-huh. you know um, to continue on this, or for Richard to come in on it. Um, but I, I just want to say in passing that um, uh, can we establish a distinction between free market and neoliberal? Oh, yeah, because go you on, seem to think do, the yeah. two things are separate. Okay. Uh, I mean, who, who thinks there is a distinction? 
Yeah, I don't sure know. I mean, I, I'm relying on you to make the All distinction. Right. I, I, I don't think there's a, a distinction. I think neo, neoliberal, um, which I think is a political statement, if you like, that sort of comes from perhaps the Washington Consensus, which you may be familiar with, um, comes out about deregulation. Okay, letting markets be as free as possible, i.e., not having interference from the state, as would be said. That's in, a very in, in, in American position, isn't it? Well, then, hence the name, the Washington Consensus, right. which was taken up by the IMF and the, and the World Bank. Okay, we're going to talk about them later, I think. Ooh, okay, yeah. so, um, so you're all social democratic capitalists to some degree, would that be fair to say? Or is there somebody that really uh, favours less of a government role? and more of a free market role? I certainly favour less of a government role than we happen to have in the UK at the moment. I think the state has got too big. Now, one of the issues... How would you describe your position? What would you call yourself? I don't think I'd look for a label. I'd just talk in terms of percentage of gross domestic product that goes in taxation. But something else which I don't think we've separated out yet is that there is a great danger that the government will interfere in the market... Um, not just by making sort of fiscal and monetary policy adjustments, which is sort of one kind of issue, but also by saying, oh, we ought to subsidise this, we ought to support that business. Um, I mean, the problem with the banks, of course, was that they got to the stage of being too big to fail and the taxpayer was going to bail them out. We might not have got into that mess if it was clear from the beginning that the taxpayer was never going to bail like them out. that's like the result of total free marketness, isn't it? The, the bank situation. It's like yeah. letting the banks do what the hell they want without well, regulation. Sorry. Oh, right, Neil. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think that's exactly it, Grant. I think it was the lack of regulation, and you saw particularly from, led from the States, particularly in 1999, this coming down of the Glass-Steagall Act, which was this uh, firewall, if you like to use the, the new term, that was between deposit-taking banks right. and investment banks. Can translate this into English, please? Yeah, banks that take your money are deposit-taking banks, right. and banks that invest in financial products or investment banks, right. and they used to be split in the US, and right. they've been split from the Depression, from the 1930s, uh-huh. because of the problems that it caused. They were brought back together again in the n- late 1990s under President Clinton, and since then we've seen this deregulation of what banks can do, and not very long after that we've had a, the financial crisis, which is mm. inherently to do with that. Mm. That's a problem of deregulation mm. in that sense. Ah, except, well, two, two points on that. One is that that is a separate issue from this sort of implicit taxpayer guarantee, which you kind of had to have because you can't have everybody losing their bank deposit. You what do you mean, taxpayer guarantee? Well, the, when the banks... When banks got into trouble, yeah. the, the various countries, the government said, OK, we'll support you. Oh, we're, yeah? we're keeping we'll the banks. Pay, we'll we'll pay there. your debts. And the other thing is that the two most famous bank failures that we can think of, one was Lehman's, which was a pure investment bank, yeah. and one was Northern Rock, which was a pure sort of deposit-taking bank. So it's not clear that that sort of separation or lack of separation was the real problem. Mm. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, certainly Northern Rock, as you say, was a, was a deposit-taking bank, but it was taking advantage of the, I think, the, the new ways of credit I in the market. I think we're getting too sure. much into like, the details. I really want to get into like, the philosophical basis of, of capitalism. So I'm going to, after we, we hear a song from Alan Stewart, I think it is. Is, is it Pimlico? It's called Pimlico. OK, well, uh, um, go, go ahead, well, Alan. Well, off I go then. So no need for headphones or anything, I just play. Play, yeah. yeah.
This is neat street. Knock me off my feet. Literally on my way to Pimlico. This is neat street. Can't even find my feet. Laying down on the ground, staring up at the sky. See some trouble, gotta move on slow. Low animal life in a world that's moving too fast. Watch the rail as the train moves on past. This is neat street. Knock me off my feet, literally. On my way to Pimlico. This is neat street. Can't even feel my feet. Laying down on the ground, staring up at the sky. Here in Pimlico, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Snow's coming down. Sun's coming up. Thank you, Alan. That was Alan Stewart with. Pimlico, especially going out to everybody in Pimlico. Uh, his uh, <laughs> website, if you like that, is uh, alanstewartmusic.com, and we're going to have another song from somebody else later. Right, so, like I said before the song, uh, I really want to go back to basics here rather than go talk about all this bank stuff. Uh, so the question I want to ask you is why capitalism at all? What is the justification for the capitalist economy? Do you want to start us off, Tom? Uh, well, I'm, there are certain kinds of capitalism I'm not very much in favour of, right. so I don't, I don't wish to like speak what? in a very pro position. Sure. I don't like monopoly capitalism. Right. which is what? Uh, multinational corporations. Right. Uh, I'm in favour of certainly of small business, small right. enterprises, uh, which remain fairly small too, uh-huh. and can participate in a market where there are no dominant players dictating prices in terms of trade, where there's a more equitable kind of situation, the sort uh-huh. of thing advocated by Adam Smith way back in sure, the 18th century. Sure, but I mean, I guess we could say because of history, things have evolved away from that. I mean, who's going to make sure that things stay that way and why should they? Well, it's got to be presumably some political form of political organisation which does so, mm. because the companies right. themselves aren't going, to, aren't going to worry about it if they're getting bigger. So we're going back to to the regulation from the government again. We're going back to certainly political approaches right. to, to the economic okay. system, yes. Um, why, why are you in favour of uh, the free market, Richard? Okay, uh, two things. One, 
it's about freedom. I happen to believe in freedom, yeah. personal freedom. Well, so freedom of speech and freedom, to, says don't and freedom, freedom to sell your labour and freedom right. to sell your products and trade with whoever you want in whatever right. way you want. And two, the fact is it works better than the alternative. You know, socialism has been truly disastrous in what it has done for people's yeah, living it's standards. Only one, it's only one try of one thing. OK, you can, compare, you can compare socialism as it is with capitalism as it is, and capitalism as it is is certainly not perfect. Right. It, things go wrong in it. Uh-huh. Or you can p- compare socialism as it might be with capitalism as it might ideally be. But yeah, don't let's compare capitalism mean, yeah, as it is fair, with socialism as it might be. Okay, Neil, how would you respond to these yeah, guys? Uh, yeah, yeah I, w- I always think the comparison with socialism, particularly at this present time, is a red herring. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't think it really works. It is, a, it is a comparison, really, between the kind of capitalism we have now, the neoliberal capitalism globally, which tends to monopoly, as you say. Again, neoliberalism um, means uh, basically the free market with a bit of government invention. Yeah, intervention, which means right? that there isn't much regulation internationally. Okay. And of course, that brings in another issue, of course, which you, you might think it, it's sometimes very difficult to regulate internationally because there's lack of democracy at that particular level. And that is, again, a, 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 a particular yeah. issue. So, so the lack of international international bodies uh, governing the international market is well, a problem. There's right? not a lack of international bodies, but there's probably a lack of legitimacy. Right. OK. Mm-hmm. And that's Fair the enough. issue, you know, trying to connect people with those organisations. That, that, that is a problem. But as I understand it, the IMF, the International Money Fund and the World Bank are like uh, their branches of... Uh, <laughs> Well, the UN officially. The UN, yeah. They have more power than any other groups in the UN have. They're not, con- not in effect, controlled by UN procedures. They have, they're nominally part of the UN, but they have their own intrinsic power. And they are largely in favour of multi... They work largely in favour of multinational so corporations. can somebody tell me what the role of the IMF and the World Bank is? Or what do they actually do? Are they sort of have some agenda to sort of bring uh, the market to every corner of the globe? Is that true? Is that what their agenda is? Well, I, yeah, I, they do, I suppose. But in connection with... Lending money, loaning, etc. I mean, they're, they're obviously it's all very conditional, though, isn't it? It's all very conditional. We're yes. going to give you this money if you do this, if you exactly. privatise your public utilities. And yes, such. They, they don't say we'll give you money if you publicise. It's always if you privatise. Yes, that's right. And that goes back to the Washington consensus that I was talking about in the first part of the program. That's generally what countries have to sign up to. If so they want basically, money. you're saying that uh, this agenda of the, say, the World Bank is is something coming out of Washington. Is that true? Heavily influenced by Washington. So America is basically leading the way of world development. I mean, the clue's in the name. It's the Washington Consensus. No, but the World Bank is not the Washington No, it's based in Washington. Washington. Right, Okay. So are the IMF. It's it's beginning to smell like a conspiracy. Is that based in Washington as well? Hmm. Okay, so... Okay. Uh, (laughs) So who wants to go next? Well, uh, I think we're identifying a problem here, and I think there is a real issue here of the balance between democratically legitimate states, Mm. which, of course, is not all states. Some states are highly illegitimate, (laughs) as far as democracy goes, and the power of multinational corporations. And you, you are getting to a situation where the politicians can't do everything that they might feel they ought to be entitled to do. And we've seen this with problems in the Eurozone. Um, your politicians have had to be told, no, sorry, you can't beat the markets. There's no use sitting there saying people ought to lend to us and they ought not to be doing these nasty things and selling us short and refusing to buy our bonds. Tough. In some circumstances, the markets have got more powerful 
than the states. Yeah. Question, is that a bad idea? And the other issue we've been looking at is, is not just the market as a whole, but specific multinationals, yeah? yeah? And saying, well, they seem to have a lot of clout. I would prefer, and I think there is an issue there, to remove that clout, firstly, by making, by making sure that they're as vulnerable as possible to the new competitors who might destroy their businesses and take over their businesses by offering a better product, a cheaper product, okay, whatever. Okay. So what you need to do is get rid of state help to the preservation of monopolies. And that may mean cutting down on intellectual property rights. OK, well, t- Tom, I mean, you, you've, I've re- read a chapter from your book in which you particularly... It's an essay, not a chapter, it's an essay, separate essay. In which you particularly uh, criticise multinationals. What do you have to add to what Richard's just well, said? Well, I'm certainly very interested in what Richard's saying about, about reduction of state help to multinational corporations to make them more genuinely uh, ex- uh, put them in a more genuinely uh, open position with regard, to, with regard to competition because their policy is to try to insulate themselves from competition. They, they may pay lip sure. service to the idea of competition but as they go more and more powerful they become more do- economically dominated right. and therefore they seal, they insulate themselves increasingly from real competition. So it's not, it's like a guild system rather than a free market system is, it's, is how With the is. cartels they're forming and they yeah. form, it's becoming a, a kind of mega guild system, yes. Okay. And I want to put it that way. And, and that is why of course when people talk about the, the free market that is not really such a thing at the moment. This tendency to monopoly means that you don't really, at the end of the day, have a particular market. If you only have a few players, you don't really have a market. A market to work well, you need a lot of players, as <coughs> but, was said. Uh, but as, as Adam Smith said, if you only have a few, then the yeah. price... Oh, but let me put the question to you. Like, if Suppose we start off with a free market and it inevitably evolves into a situation uh, where you've got uh, big multinational corporations. I mean... Re-establishing a free market just means you're going to start the cycle again, doesn't it? Well, here's where I think we have to look at politics again and look at political uh-huh. and social values and, and really say that it's the, it's the job of governments to try and prevent that from happening all over again. Marx predicted quite accurately that the tendency of capital, as you were saying in the nicer, would be to become monopolistic. Right. It might be a slow process, but it would happen. He's been proved absolutely right, right. on that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a Marxist, but I... Uh, they, Marx is absolutely correct. He has, no did get some that. things right. We many say. things right. Got many, things right. Yeah. many things right. Many things. God indeed. bless him. Um, so this is a problem, and it, uh, I think one has to say that that the problem arises in a, in a society, or in, in a, if you like a political economy. Mm-hmm. Again, to use the a 19th century t- term originating, I think, in the 19th century, in a political economy where the political aim is not to prevent this happening. Is mm. not to prevent it. It may not want it, actually, but it has nothing positive to prevent it. Right, OK. So, but then, as because there is no international with body with enough teeth to regulate these multinational corporations, you know, if they, if they don't like the regime in one country, they'll just move their headquarters to another. I mean, how, how would you respond to that? And Neil, do you want to have a go on that? Well, I think what typically happens is that crisis comes along. Right. um, And it means that people need to get together and regulate. And so when I was talking earlier about the depression in the 1930s, the result of that was then a kind of turning away from, if you like, this free market that you're discussing about, and more regulation, more regulation on the banks and Uh and, and more regulation for worldwide trade. And again... You mean internationally? Yeah, internationally. Uh And we're probably looking at the same thing 
now. Of course, it just depends. You know, we're already in the crisis, how long it's going to go on for and what damage is done. But I, I think that will probably, I know you want to talk about this later, result in further regulation. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so that presumably must involve international agree- agreement between different national governments. Between different national governments. I think that's exactly right. And, of course, in the banking sector, of course, uh, international governments are very concerned about regulatory arbitrage, the fact that one government may say one thing, another government may say another. So there needs to be this coordination. How well it will be done, I don't know. And, of course, it's a question of democratic legitimacy as well. I'm not sure about that either. What do you mean by democratic legitimacy? Well, I think I I mean that, um, for example, in uh, Greece... Just uh-huh. recently, there was a move to go towards a referendum, and then the markets jumped so so swiftly on that. Right. They were so worried about it, um, right. and there was all types of problems. And then that was taken away because of that very reason. The referendum, and so was you taken may, away, so you yeah. move away from this linkage between politics and the decisions that are made and the people. And I, I'm not so keen on that. So, so, so it does seem to be the case that. To a large extent, uh, these multinational corporations and what they're interested in profit, but they seem to have like their the governments in their pockets. I mean, is isn't that the case? Yeah, I th- I think we can identify a quite specific difference between where I'm coming from and I think particularly where Tom's coming oh, from, do, yeah. which is not a very big difference. Okay. Um, I think difference. Tom wants a regulation to be there to make sure that nobody ever gets to be so big that they're dominant. Right. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly valid with things like the banks. You're the basic plumbing of the economy. Uh-huh. You mustn't let any, compa- any element in it to become too big to fail, so you've got to rescue it. But other companies, you know, they can fail. Pan Am wasn't too big to fail. It didn't matter yeah. that it failed. Right. And well, what it mattered I've, to the employees. Well, it mattered to them, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Stockholders. What matters, no, what, what, what matters here, to me, is not that nobody gets too big, right. but that I'm fine with people getting very big, so long as they remain vulnerable to new entrants to the market who can drive them out of business. Okay. And that's what I want to see. No barriers to entry. All right. And Neil first and then Tom. Uh, I, I suspect Tom might say the same thing. But the problem is when you get too large, then you, you put in the, the, the barriers to entry. That, that's the problem. I mean, the problem How is in what you, you mean, just get. Because you can, well, very simply, you can loss lead. So, i.e., if a yeah. new entrant comes in, because you're bigger and you have larger economies of scale, you price your product much lower right. until you drive the new entrant out of business. I uh, mean, it's quite... That's what the supermarkets do, isn't it? That's what the supermarkets do, some of them. Don't, don't yeah. quote me on that. Yes. And okay. it's great for the shoppers. Yeah, I love it when the shop. Okay, Tom, I'll come back on another point that uh, oh, Richard right. made. Though. Well, Very interesting, Richard, your reference yeah. to things like Pan Am. Um, it didn't bother some people that Pan Am should fail. Mm. Who were these people whom it didn't bother? Which groups didn't it bother? Well, it didn't matter to the economy as a whole. Whereas mm. if, a, if a huge bank fails, that sort of interferes with the whole plumbing of the financial system. And that becomes a problem, yeah. Well, but with an airline, yes. if an airline fails, if a mining company fails, you know, any of these other sort of general industrial companies, it doesn't matter to the economy as a whole. Therefore, you can let them fail, and you should. Oh, well, that's a stunned silence um, from everybody. Well, no, no, not exactly. Well, what about Lehman Brothers? That was allowed to fail. Mm-hmm. How do you explain that? Why was that allowed to fail, but not other uh, other big financial organisations? Well, that, that was a pure investment bank, so it didn't sort of interfere with the plumbing in the same way that, say, if RBS had gone oh, down. Oh, oh, but it did. Um, for, oh, it did. Well, it, was, it did. Because, it because everybody effect. owed each other securities. Yeah, yeah, and sure. so if Layman's yeah. went down, it looked like okay, RBS Okay, we're going, getting too yeah, yeah. far into the technicalities again now. I think well, one question is, it seems... 
it seems to me that the, you sort of agreeing that there's no such thing as a, a absolutely free market because a lot of it is controlled by multinational corporations. So why do people still talk as if there is a free market? Does, well, I think it's to people's advantage who have quite a lot of power and money. Like, I mean, the very word free, you know, sounds really good, doesn't it? And yeah, as you said earlier yeah. on, you know, no one's going to disagree with wanting freedom. So if you say, well, come on, how can you disagree with the free market, which has somehow become associated with deregulation, then it sounds like a good thing. For me, it's just, a, it's just an instrument of power. Okay, so you're being deceived, everybody. There is no free market. Yeah, in fact, there's probably not really a market. Okay. What does that mean? Well, there are very few players. Okay, if you've only got very few players, there's not really a market. Hey, I can choose whether to go to Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Waitrose. That keeps them on their toes. Mm. I like the market. Yeah, at least I think it works for us. There's consumer power. And, and the prices in the supermarkets are much higher than you would get in a local corner shop, of course. Uh, and, and, and that's what's happened. <laughs> well, well they've, colluded, they've colluded together. Very few, very few supermarkets, and they've colluded together, and the prices are higher than they would otherwise be. In fact, you're paying more than you should do. And of course you're saying that that that's great but in fact in in recent years the price of food's gone through the roof for lots of families part of that is because of the structure of the supermarket industry i think okay go to the corner shop how your many of them are left how many of them are left very enough left okay. certainly around here all right no, co- no corner shops in um mm. uh, london bridge apart from the one on the mm. corner over there <laughs> uh right we're going to go to another song uh this is going to be simon stone he, stone he's playing worried life blues oh lordy lord oh lordy lord lord it hurts so bad for us to part but someday baby I love you Nobody knows But someday baby story 
If you listeners like that, his um, website is simonstonebluesguitarist.com and both Simon and Alan appear at the Fab Club at the, the Realston, which is in Lily Road, Fulham, uh, regularly. And uh, I'll mention that again at the end of the show. OK, uh, so we've been arguing a bit about um, um, cap- uh, the recent developments in Capitalism, I suppose. So the question really is, where do we go from here? Do we need a more designed uh, system as similar to what we've got, or do we need a revolutionary overhaul of the economic process? Who wants to start off with an answer to that? Where do we go from here? There are things you could tweak, right. and especially you must get rid of crony capitalism. You must get rid of what does help, that mean, to, help, to this, help to particular companies from the state, yeah? Sort of implicit guarantees that we won't let you fail, yeah. subsidies for this and that. So you can make improvements like that. I'd be very, very nervous about any kind of revolution. Revolutions tend to go wrong. They have right. vast, unexpected consequences. But then so does... The, I mean, as we've seen, capitalism has also gone wrong, so it's a question of choosing your horses. I think it? it's gone more right than wrong, a lot more right than wrong. In what sense? In sense of the generation of the wealth for ordinary people. Living standards well, no, for ordinary people wealth. today are significant, in this country in particular, are okay. significantly higher than they were, say, 50 years ago, and vastly higher than they were 150 years but it's ago. But also, it's also it's made materialists out of us. It's made, you know, it's, it's a process of economic expansion in a situation where there's 7 billion people on the world, all, all aspiring to be Americans and have American standards of living, which, of course, is unsustainable. So it's a process which is leading inevitably towards ecological catastrophe. That's a problem of too many people. Right. So not we a kill problem some with people and keep the No, we don't somewhere. kill them. Why don't we have another war? <laughs> you you uh, make sure that contraception's available all over the place. Right, and, okay. particularly important, you work to develop education for women, because that, I okay. think, has well, a significant effect on the effect. Once women appreciate that there are other opportunities than being baby machines, that's tremendously important, as well as being important on moral grounds, everybody should have yeah, equal I opportunities. Think, I think the question of uh, women's education is independent of... Uh, questions of what makes a good economy uh, Neil what do you think, where should we go from here? I think we're in real trouble Yeah, I, do I, too. I, think, I think we're in real trouble <coughs> and um, part, of the, part of the fact is that you, you wouldn't start from here and going back to no, that example You can't get there from here No, and going back to that example of Greece where really the kind of democracy was circumvented, I think you can expect yeah. more of that um, because as I said, you know, the decisions now that we need to make need to be made globally 
Uh-huh. And but and they need to be made quickly because apparently the market is so. Is, what is sort king. of decisions need to be made now? Well, for example, to quiet the markets, apparently decisions needed to be made about um, you know how a government was going to run its fiscal policy, its budget, and it needed to be made quickly. And you couldn't take that to the people, so it was just imposed on them. Right. And I think we can see more decisions of that. Like I think we All can. Right. I think it's ironic so that it's you panic. see perhaps the flowering of democracy in the Middle East that. It, in, yeah, in perhaps uh, the West, we're moving the to other way. To a more and, authoritarian and, uh, business. Well, right? well and, and I think that is the revolution. I mean, I think that's happened so fast. So it's a, bad, it's revolution. a revolution yeah. in the wrong direction. OK, Tom what, Tom, what do you think? Well, I go along with a lot of what Neil's saying. Oh, this is a massive crisis. Right. Um, and um, the, the issue is basically an issue of democratic political principle. Uh-huh. Um, how can we maintain and, and further democracy? Uh, uh, through economic systems. Can I just co- go back to something that Richard said sure. a little while ago? He's absolutely right in talking about the enormous increases in material standard of living right, in sure. the West uh, for most people over the last 50, 100 years. Of course that's the case. We've got to remember that's been made possible by, by the West's dominance of the global economic system. Right. Since 1950, the, there's been a doubling of disparity between income levels in the West and the rest of the world. There's been a doubling of it. Okay. Since 19, so for the rest of the world, it's got worse. For the West, it's got better. And, of course, within the West, it's got better for some people more than others. So, it, that's, I mean, that shows that there's a problem with capitalism to me anyway. If, it's, yes, if it means so. that it, loads of people end up with not enough to eat and then a few people own, you know, like 1% of the world owns 95% of the world's wealth. It seems to me there's something wrong there, I would have thought. Can I just give some statistics on that then? According to 1990 figures, um, MNCs control 70% of world trade. This is What's an MNC, Tom? Multinational corporation. Right, okay. Uh, uh, Own one-third of the globe's private sector productive assets and account for four-fifths of direct foreign investment worldwide, i.e. governments account for only one-fifth of that. Okay, so most most of the... uh, All these are Western... Most uh, of the industrial... uh, The wealth movement is down to multinational corporations and not to governments, and they're unaccountable, aren't they? Well, in terms of concentration of wealth, yes. Yes. Okay, so... um, So... Why, why in the face of an expanding world population, do you think it's the right thing to do to keep, to keep an expanding economic process? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, especially you, Richard. Why, why do you think that? Why do you think that capitalism will keep going just as it is when the you know when we're running out of space, really? Okay, if you've got a problem with an increasing population, a finite size of planet and finite right. resources, and you right. know, particular commodities in particular right. that are likely to run out quite soon right. if we don't sure. do something sensible, uh, then you certainly have a problem there. And I dare say you might get to the point where you need some kind of rationing system if you've got some really important commodity. And that would have to be arranged at some global level and it would have to be democratically accountable. And that would be very difficult. Right. What I think you do about that is to say, okay, the problem is not capitalism. The problem is too many people. Okay, I think Neil wants to disagree with you about that. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a point that, you know, Malthus made way back when. He said the population, you know, 
the population was too much and we were running out of resources. I mean, I, this I, was I, in the 18th I, and we were running century, out of space. We're certainly not running out of space. All the people in the world would probably fit into France. We're not running mm. out of space. It's just that the resources that we have, which could feed everybody and all these types of things, are not distributed at all equitably. And in fact, that distribution is getting more and more unfair. And that's the real issue. I think that the resource... Yeah, sure. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think environmental exploitation is an issue. But in terms of feeding everybody and clothing, that could be done. There just isn't the political will. But it's will. not going to be done by capitalism, is it? Unless we're all going to feed everybody McDonald's and Kentucky well, indeed, and that's 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 the that's the question, that's the challenging question. You know, right. uh, can, can capitalism do it? I don't think capitalism in a monopoly form can possibly do it. Right. There's no wish to do it. There's no incentive to do it. And it's right. so power, it's so powerful, but has no incentive to do it. So there's no reason it will. There's no expectation that it will do it. No. Um, regarding population. Uh, there are all sorts of factors which produce population growth and uh, produce overpopulation. Uh, one, it certainly is a cultural thing. Uh, um, uh, non-use of contraceptives, obviously, that may have to do with religion, etc. As, 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 for example, in, in Latin America, Catholicism, etc. But another factor is actually being in a bad economic situation in the first place. Yeah. And it's, statistics have shown that as societies become more prosperous, their populations tend to stabilise for all sorts of reasons. Okay. So while you, while, while you have very high levels of poverty in many parts of the world, along with cultural factors which are increasing population, the, economic, the poorness of economic conditions is itself increasing population. Of course, one thing multinationals would love to have is an expanded customer base and an expanded workforce and so on. So actually, it is in their interests to promote development in a lot of these less developed countries. But it doesn't, isn't, does it really happen fast enough to make a difference to uh, all these converging problems? I'm not sure that it does. Well, it depends on where you think the crunch is going to come and uh, how quickly the development is going to happen. Of sure. course, as we said, the well, development can be part of a problem in the sense it increases the total consumption of natural resources. Well, I'm sure somebody can draw a graph and say this is the point where it all falls apart. Um, but the fact that they haven't seemed to have done it is is quite amazing to me. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to give a quick plug. I talk. I my I think that there should be a social economy running alongside a, a free market economy, and you can read about that in my book, The Meta Revolution, which is available online. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, um, what ought to happen now? What ought to be done now in order to uh, head off all these big problems at the past, so to speak. Uh, Neil? Well, I think, like I, I said earlier, I think we're in a real problem because you certainly wouldn't start from here. Um, there certainly needs but to... We ha- given that we have no, to no, stop no, here. Given, no, absolutely. No, I'm going I'm, I'm to accept that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> given that we have to start from here, I think that clearly, and I know you don't like me saying this, but I think clearly we need some regulation in the banking world and so the the government have suggested our government has suggested that legislation come in by 2019 i think that needs to be brought forward international banking regulation no regulation for this country i think internationally we need to get together again much quicker and we need to agree on a set of regulatory policies alongside the kind of glass Act which happened in the states quickly remind us why regulating the banks in particular is so important 
Well, I think that what generally happens if we have these two different types of banks, deposit-taking banks, yeah. like the banks that take your money and the investment-taking banks, if you allow them to come together, it means the investment banks have much more money. Right. Okay? Because they can use the deposits that you give them. That allows them to invest in far more, you know, securities and financial innovation. Right. I think that leads them astray. That means they concentrate on casino capitalism rather than loaning and investing sure. to people. They just get greedy, in thing. other words. Well, okay. Yeah, some, something along those lines. And I, I, again, right. I think that, you know, the te- I would have a firewall between deposit-taking banks and investment banks. Okay, Tom, what do you think ought to happen? Well, I'm going along with what's being said about increased banking regulation. Yeah. I mean, perhaps in an even wider perspective, we've got to think of, of some sort of global democratic uh, momentum here. Right. Uh, we're seeing it already to some extent with, with regard to the crisis in Europe with the growth of a coalition of, the coalition of resistance movement, various groups in the various countries affected, trying to come together. This is the people in tents, for instance. Uh, well, it's, it's not... Uh, they may be connected with that. The, the, the Occupy group in, outside St Paul's right. are, uh, are not officially part, as far as I know, of the Coalition of Resistance. Right. I attended a conference recently on this. But anyway, what we need, really, certainly across Europe, across the West, right. is some sort of um, growth of general kind of democratic coordination between the populations who are affected by this crisis. OK, suppose we become coordinated. What do we need to do once we're coordinated? You'll appreciate this is a massive challenge right. and problem. Right, And sure. there may not be instance things I can come up with now and say uh, we do A, B, C and sure, D. Sure, but generally but where we, what direction are we heading in? We're, we're heading in a direction where, where, where um, uh, the populace in general, through exercising its democratic vote uh-huh. in democracies, right. can substantially change the situation. Um, uh, uh, into the, this regulated, more regulated great, market. Greater yeah. regulation, greater control of, of these enormous private concentrations right. of economic power and ultimately i mean again I, I say this is a very broad perspective i'm offering ultimately for that to be worldwide the third world's got to be brought in as well okay uh anything you want to add richard uh no way would i want that kind of policy okay. i think that what we need is more capitalism not less <laughs> I, we want to make sure that there is Sorry. real competition yeah that companies are exposed to new entrants. Well, you you get rid of any sort of regulations helping um, existing companies. You get rid of trade barriers. For example, the common agricultural policy is a deeply immoral policy because it obstructs free trade. So you Uh, get rid of all trade barriers. I don't know what it is, but I get the idea. Um, So you encourage more free competition. The last thing you want is regulation. Governments come in and say, we ought to do something about this. Something must be done. This is something. So let's do this. And they screw things up completely. OK. Uh, OK, we must ask a question. I've simply got to ask This is Alan. Richard, how, who would be powerful enough as an individual to do what you're talking about there? Who would actually be there to yeah. bang the heads together and say, no, you're too, you're too big, we'll just have more, we'll have more little companies? I mean, I totally agree with the idea of it, well, uh, what, we're, what you're all saying in ways, but, but what you're actually saying is that you don't want intervention, hmm. but somehow, magically, there's going to be within this capitalist sort of environment... Yeah. Some no, you, group of people who are going to magic up the power to actually say no. No, you don't go around breaking up companies and saying you're too big, with a possible exception of banks, which we've talked about. Yeah, yeah. But what you do is you make sure that they don't have any state-produced benefits to help them stay too big and pre- preserve them from new entrants into the market and new competitors. OK. So that's within government, government <coughs> okay. decision. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. 
Neil, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I think that's a very difficult thing to, to do. Uh, mm. It would be lovely if it could happen, but I think it would be a very difficult thing to do. And so that's why I'm for, particularly for these terrible things that have happened before, capital controls around the world, so right. that you couldn't just move capital quite so freely as you can now. Because if you want some political resolution at a global level, it means that the markets can't be in control and they can't be so fast moving. And for that, you need to make sure that people can't take their money out quite so quickly as they can now, because it holds countries and democracies to ransom. Okay. Okay. Well, I understood some of that. Um, <laughs> having said what you all think uh, is, is ought to happen, can, you, can anybody say what they think is actually going to happen? <laughs> don't, you, don't even want that, to think that, about that, it. That, that is seriously challenging. I, mean, I suppose the immediate question is what's going to happen to the Eurozone? You know, does Greece default now or a bit later? When does it break yeah. up? And then what happens to Europe when it does? Oh, I mean, there's been this ridiculous talk about if the euro explodes, then Europe explodes. Right. Rubbish. They're just going to have to unwind this damn stupid idea of a currency union between radically different economies. OK. Anybody else got any predictions for the future? Well, I don't know whether a prediction, but certainly echoing something Neil said earlier, that a threat is, a real threat is, that money markets uh, will overrule democratic political democracy. Yes, they have been doing for a century or two, yeah. Well, no, much more so now, much I think. More much so more so now. Different real danger is authoritarian politics at a global level. And that's a real concern, you know. What, to try and just try and stabilise the, the market? Yeah, just try, to try and stay in control. Wow, that's, that's a really real problem. heavy stuff, man. OK, look, finally, can I just ask each of you to sum up your positions and give a verdict on the question, glo- in, in a minute if you can, guys, global, question, global capitalism, good or bad? Richard, do you want to go first? Definitely good. Not perfect. There are problems, and we do need to address them, but hugely better than the alternatives. Governments are crap at running things. Okay. And running the economy should be, to a significant extent, not up to the democratically elected government, but to the individual participants in the market. All right. Tom, global capitalism, good or bad? Well, again, it's it's a complex issue, and some of the complexities have come out tonight. But certainly, um, global capitalism driven by multinational corporations is a bad thing. Global capitalism uh, on a much more um, uh, widely of a more widely diffused kind with small companies, small businesses uh, playing more of a role, um, having more space to operate in uh, is I think a good thing. I still think there will be a need for government intervention and regulation and um, the model I think should still be the social democratic model. Okay, thank you Tom. Uh, Neil, global capitalism, good or bad? Gone bad. Um, and particularly since the uh, 1980s. As right. I said earlier on, terrible thing to say, but I think I wouldn't start from here. The fact that we're going to leads me to think that we're in real trouble for the next few years. So. OK, that's a nice yes. place to end on. Uh, right, having uh, various opinions on capitalism, we're going to be capitalistic now and plug various projects. OK, Richard, do you want to tell the people quickly about your book? OK, uh, I've written a couple of books, one on ethics and one on issues about free will and decision. You can find out about them at my website, www.rbphilo.com. That's R-B-P-H-I-L-O.com. 
Okay, Tom, uh, what about the book from which that essay yeah. that I quoted uh, earlier was I, taken? I've, I've referred to some extent in what I've said tonight to an essay I wrote on the, called The Menace of the Multinationals. This is in a book published, a book entitled A Liberalism Cautious but Active, right. published in 2002. People who are interested in getting a copy, please contact me personally on the following email address. I don't have a website, unfortunately. On the following email address, Hitchin, H-I-T-C-H-I-N, 46 at talktalk.net. Okay, Thank thanks, you. Tom. And uh, Neil? I'd just like to plug my uni- uh, university. I'm from the University of Essex, the Essex Business School, which is a business school which tries to have an ethical position as well as just looking at business per se for making money. And again, to repeat, the people who like the music they heard tonight, they can go to the Fab Club at the Ralston in Lily Road, which is usually on a Saturday. And my name's Grant Bartley. I've got two books, The Love, Solitude and Destruction and The Meta Revolution. You've been listening to the Philosophy Now radio show. Thank you very much.